Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. Our anchoring text today will be a simple one. It's found in the book of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. If you've been around church for a while, you'll recognize this text. If you're relatively new to church, welcome to church. We hope and pray you feel like you're at home. This is eternal truth. God speaking to you. And the Bible says, see what great love the Father. Everyone say Father. Father. Say Father like an Australian. Father. Father. Say Father like an American. Father. Father. Say Father like a Chinaman. Father. Awesome. <laughs> Torture languages. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on you and me. That because of his love and because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his kindness, because of his ferocious loyalty, He would deem us children of God, sons and daughters, daughters and sons. And that, my friends, is what we are. If you're writing down notes this morning, um, the sermon title is Call Me Dad. Did you know that we have a God who loves us with the intensity of a billion sons and he looks in our direction and he says, would you call me dad? Let me pray and we'll jump into this. Dear God, help. Amen. Amen. <laughs> call me dad. Uh, my wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage this past February. So you better clap loud enough so she can hear it in the other room because she deserves the clap. 20 years. We went away to Charleston, South Carolina to enjoy a bit of a romantic weekend away just to reflect on the last 20 years and to plan our next 50 years together. And as we were together, it was uh, amazing to reflect on the fact that things have really changed in the last 20 years. Uh, 20 years ago, getting married was a relatively simple affair. You found a girl that you liked, you saved some money, you bought a ring and you asked her, how about it? Nowadays, it's very, very difficult. It's very complicated. Young man wants to propose to a young lady. It is a song and it is a dance. You're going to have to save up to, to propose because with Instagram, that whole thing's going to be Insta story. You know what I'm saying? And so nowadays, a young man wants to kind of get married to a young lady. Homie needs to save up and because there needs to be a private jet. There needs to be some form of helicopter ride, some kind of limousine. You know what I'm saying? You've got to take her out into a deserted island somewhere where you get down on one knee and pull out a guitar and sing her a song that you wrote for her in the whole proposal. Homie, you didn't even play the guitar before the proposal began. You had to learn how to play the guitar, write the song, ask her to marry you. The ring has to be legit, you know what I'm saying? Because this is going to be all, you know what I'm saying? Huzzah! Like, and you can't be like kind of rolling around, little like kind of got my little magnifying and it has to be a shazam kind of because there's like there's like an Instagram filter like kind of bang and then and then the family has to come out of the woods and then you all do communion together. You know what I'm saying? Then you gotta write 
There is a young woman in this room right now who's asking the question, why hasn't my man proposed to me yet? It's not that homie doesn't love you, it's just that he cannot afford to do it yet. He's still in the middle of guitar lessons, you know what I'm saying? 20 years ago, it was so much easier. I was dating Krista, I loved her, she loved me, I saved a little bit of money, bought a ring, took her to a park, got down on one knee and asked her, how about it? And uh, that was my proposal. It was as romantic as that. And I can remember the interaction because the first thing she asked me is if I had talked to her father about it. And I asked her, why would I talk to her father? I don't want to marry him. I want to marry you. And I'm also terrified of your father. He's a large man. He's six foot four, big Australian man. He kind of was working in the hardware industry. He had a garage full of tools that he knew how to use. That in my brain is like the most manly man thing you can do, you know what I'm saying? And, and so she's like getting upset at me. Oh my goodness, I can't believe that we've gone down this track and you've asked me for my hand in marriage and you haven't even asked my father for permission. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, I haven't asked for your hand. I'm asking for the whole package. Second of all, why am I talking to your dad? I don't want to talk to him because I'm terrified of him. No, no, you need to talk to my dad. We're not getting married. So, okay, fine. I'll go talk to you. My proposal ended in a fight. So we get into the car, we drive out to the house, the whole way there, I'm rehearsing in my head a speech that I'm going to present to Krista's father, Mr. Harris. And I'm going to myself, all right, you can do this, you can do this. I get to the house, I walk into the driveway. Before I go into the house, I drop down and do about 30 or 40 push-ups because if I'm going to go face-to-face, I'm going to go chest-to-chest as well. And so I've got a pump on now. I walk into the house, I step into the living room. Mr. Harris is already standing in the living room, towering over me. He knew that something was up because there was a Chinese guy doing push-ups in the driveway. And so I look him in the eye and I say, hey, Mr. Harris, um, uh, can I have Krista? And immediately... Tears began to well up in his eyes as he grabs me and hugs me and says to me, of course you can marry Krista. I'd be proud to have you as a son. Again, can you see how different guys and girls are? The girls here in the room are like, oh my goodness, that's so sweet, so intimate, so much emotion. This large Australian man embracing this Chinese boy. And all the guys in the room are like kind of, woof, huh, what happened, honey? What happened, huh? And then I remember him saying this, I'll never forget. He says, but from now on, I want you to call me dad. Again, look at the the women like, oh my goodness, that's so sweet. His ability to communicate in such a raw moment. And all the guys are still like, huh, I'm still confused. Okay. And I'm like that because I push back. I remember like feeling this incredible wave of awkwardness come over me. As I push back and I said, whoa, 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 dad. That, that's, that's very intimate. That, that, that's a very, very personal term. I've got no issue calling you Mr. Harris. I'm cool with that. I've got no issue with calling you Krista's dad. I've got no issue with calling you the father of my girlfriend who has threatened me with death and burial many, many times throughout our courtship. All of these terms seem to roll naturally off my tongue, but dad, very close, very intimate. Stuff was getting real real. And I find for a lot of people in their journey with God, they feel the same way when it comes to calling our creator dad. Mighty, marvelous, majestic, the great I am. 
the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who flung stars into space, an all-consuming fire, God Almighty, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, clap my provider. See, all of these terms roll very naturally off my tongue, 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 tongue when it comes to great Almighty. But Dad, that's very close. That's very intimate. Hey, stuff is getting real, real. When you're asking me to look at the one who made the heavens and the earth and call him dad. But it's important for us, dare I say imperative for us, to come to a place where we see God the way he wants to be seen. And we get God the way he wants to be got. And as tricky and as challenging as it may be to actually embrace him, come on, as a father. Because unless we see God the way he wants to be seen and get God the way he wants to be God, we won't ever be able to relate to him the way he wants to be related to. And we don't relate to him, and when we don't relate to him the way he wants to be related to, that will affect our intimacy with him, how close we ever get to him. And our intimacy ultimately will determine our destiny in and through him. So we have to acknowledge right here, right now, for many people, this idea that God is creator, but he's also our dad, we have to acknowledge that and it is difficult. That for many people, they find it hard, come on, to get their minds around. And we need to face up to the reality that unless we can step into this space of true and deep revelation, that he is Abba Father and we are a child of God that will create dysfunction every step of our journey with God down the track. But if we can see God the way he wants to be seen, if we can get God the way he wants to be God, it will change everything about our experience in him and through him. It will change everything about our service for him. It will change everything about the way we see ourselves. If you're here this morning and you're feeling it's a little bit strange to refer to God as dad, you know what? You're not alone. You know why? Because it is strange. It's strange to to call the creator of the heavens and the earth dad because he's so big and we're so small. He's mighty, he's majestic, he's creator, he's the king of the universe, but he's also our dad. I often think to myself, he's somewhere out there in the heavenlies and I'm here on planet earth. There are 6.8 billion of us wandering around God has so much stuff on his plate. How can he possibly see me, let alone know me, let alone care about my every single move? I sometimes think to myself, there are two billion people on planet who are Chinese. We all kind of look the same. How does he even pick me out of the crowd? He's so big. I'm so small. It's so hard to... Get my mind around the fact that he is a loving, personal, connected dad. Not only is he big and am I small, but he is so perfect and I'm so not. I know the dirt on my hands. I know the charges on my rap sheet. 
I know the stains on my soul and the madness of my mind. I know the lines that I have crossed and the path that I've walked down. I know the fallen, fragmented fool that I am. I know the failure like I feel like I am. I know all the things that I've done wrong. I often feel unworthy to be in a conversation with God, let alone a relationship with God. And it's hard for me to get my mind around being a confident child of God when I feel so unworthy because of the things that I've done. It's so difficult to get my mind and my heart and my soul around this reality because I often feel like I've fallen so short. Why would he ever bother as a loving dad to pick me up? He's so big, I'm so small, he's so perfect, I'm so not. And you know what also complicates the matter? What comes to our mind so often when we think about what a dad is or what a father is? You see, when I was a younger preacher, I remember always assuming that when I talked about God being a father, people would hear words like care, protection, and provision. Keeping, they would just jump into their mind and it would be multiplied by a billion and they would get a snapshot of what God is like. I always assumed that would be the natural response when people talked about God being a father. But the older I got and the more that I pastored, the more I understood. Now for many people, when they hear the word father or the word dad, care, keeping, protection and provision doesn't jump immediately to their mind. In fact, the word absent comes to mind. I never knew him. He was never around. For some people, angry or aggressive come to mind. He was around, but he was only around when I was in trouble. Unfortunately, for too many people, the word abusive comes to mind. He hurt me. And because of that, they take those words, they multiply it by a billion, and somehow they think that God is some kind of celestial version of their earthly dad. And it makes it so hard for people to embrace this notion that God could be a perfect, loving, heavenly father because they had never experienced a heavenly, I mean, a loving father here on earth. I remember experiencing this for the first time, maybe in the clearest way, years ago when one of Krista, my wife's friends, came along to a church service I was speaking at. She wasn't brought up around church. I remember preaching this really simple message about the love of the Father. At the end of the service, this girl comes up to me. Her name was Sam. And she said, hey, Dan, thank you so much for that talk. And and Krista was with her. And and she started explaining how she felt something in her heart. But at the same time, she felt very uneasy when I talked about God being a father. Because she had a father who did things to her that no father should ever do to a daughter. And when she talked, when I talked about God being a loving dad, she just couldn't get her mind around any kind of dad being loving. And it hit me that for many people, they hit this roadblock when it comes to having a relationship with Abba Father and seeing themselves as a child of God because of some brokenness in their definitions. Based upon their experiences here on earth. Now, let me make it abundantly clear. I'm not here to throw shade at anyone as a dad. I've got a great dad myself. He's four foot eleven, a little Chinese accountant. He's really good at table tennis. I love him to bits. <laughs> but I'm learning more and more as I'm walking through life. 
that my understanding of God was never meant to be framed by my understanding of how my father fathered me. And in fact, if I could be really honest with you, I started following Jesus when I was 17. I don't know if I actually experienced the love of the Father until I was 28. In fact, when I was 17 through to 28, I saw God as a bit of an angry figure that liked me when I was doing well, that rewarded me when I passed the test, that would shun me when I fell short. And again, not throwing shade at my father, but it just it occurred to me, I'm 28 years old, and I had just taken this little four foot 11 Chinese accountant and put him in heaven. And even though there are beautiful aspects and attributes and qualities in my dad that are reflected in the Father, our understanding of what God was like was never meant to be primarily informed by our earthly understanding. So here we find ourselves. Houston and Dallas, we have a problem. We have to see God the way he wants to be seen. We have to get God the way he wants to be got. Irrespective of how long in this Christian journey you've been in it, you have to come to a point of deeper and clearer revelation of who he really is. Because unless you can see God the way he wants to be seen, it will affect your relationship, your relationship, your intimacy, your intimacy, your life in and through him. And it's so difficult at the beginning to see him as a father because he's so big, we're so small, he's so perfect, we're so not. And the word dad is so charged in this day and age. So where to from here? Well, the good news is that God understood this. And God preemptively struck. He knew that we would have a hard time getting our minds around the fact that he is a loving, perfect, heavenly dad. So all the way through the scriptures, beginning in the Old Testament, he would reveal himself. As a creator, but also a father. A redeemer, but also a father. Israel's savior, but also a father. He would be a father to the fatherless. And because the word of God could only describe so much, he would bring the word in flesh to the earth, Jesus Christ, to write the next chapter, to reveal to us once and for all who God truly is, a perfect and loving and heavenly dad. He breaks into the earth and in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, his disciples ask him, Yo, Jesus, we see you hanging out with God in heaven every single morning. And we want to hang out with him like you hang out with him. Hey, when you talk to him, how should we do this? How should we address him? And Jesus very clearly would state, if you talk to God in heaven, talk to him like this. Say, Our Father. It would have been absolutely reasonable for Jesus to say, you know what, don't play because he's God in heaven. So when you come before him, you better drop to your knees and say, oh, great and wonderful creator of the heavens and the earth, I beseech thee. It would have been absolutely reasonable for Jesus to frame our conversations with God that way. But he doesn't. He says, no, when you pray to God in heaven, tell him, hey, dad, how you doing? In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, he makes it clear that even though here on earth we get an insight into what God is like through our earthly dads, our heavenly father is so much more. Our heavenly father is so much more loving. Our heavenly father is so much more perfect than what we've experienced here on earth. 
164 times in the Gospels, Jesus would refer to God in heaven, come on, as Father. And so Jesus comes to earth, dies on the cross, is buried, is resurrected, overcoming sin and death, inviting us into life eternal. But he doesn't finish the work there because God isn't just about saving us. He's about delivering us. So he taps in the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, to add the next chapter. And the Holy Spirit comes with the primary work of convincing you of who God is and who you are. Can we settle that in our hearts? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't isn't just set aside for some segments of Christendom. The Holy Spirit isn't the green mist that comes into the room during the singing of the slow songs. The Holy Spirit isn't the person who comes along every now and then during the worship time and tickles you, oh, tickle, tickle. No, no, the Holy Spirit first and foremost lives inside of you to give testimony to you about who you are and who God is. That's the reason the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you right now to testify to you, to let you know you are no longer a slave, you are no longer a servant, you are no, no, no longer someone who has been, no, you are now a son and a daughter of God. It testifies to you that you cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy God. That's the reason the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, That you no longer have to have your relationship with God marked by fear. I understand why people might be fearful around God because He is an all-consuming fire. He is perfect and He is holy. He might seem unapproachable, but now you have the Holy Spirit. You no longer have to have your relationship with God framed by fear. No, because that Spirit cries out and testifies to you. That he is Abba Father. Now some of you are looking at me and asking the question, why does he keep referring to a Swedish pop group from the 70s, Abba? And I'm not. The word Abba is literally a Jewish term of endearment between a little child and their dad. What does does Noah call Tim? I don't know, like Daddy, Pops, Big T, I don't know. I know for me, I used to call my father, like many Chinese people, Ba! Ba! I love how, do you know, from a linguistic point of view, it's fascinating when you study languages that most cultures, even though all of our languages um, are formed and framed um, through different avenues, um, most languages, when it comes to um, the reference from a small child to their father, ha- have, have a sound like a ba 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 ba. You know why? There is something there is something deep inside every single human being that knows it was made to connect with Abba. And that is what the Holy Spirit is trying to convince you of. Come on, you are a child of God. So here we find ourselves. As a group of people who God wants to define, not through what you've done, the mistakes you've made, the lines you've crossed, the decisions that you wish you could take back, but what he has declared, come on, over your life. The fact that he is father and you are a daughter, you are a son, you are a daughter, you are a son. 
And it's difficult, but he gives us the word of God and he gives us the ministry of Jesus. And now he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit for us to see God the way he wants to be seen, to get him the way he wants to be God. So here is the question. Where to from here? How do I walk forward into this day, into this week and into my life? Knowing more and more what it's like to be a confident and secure, valued child of God. How do I see him more and more as my dad, as difficult as it may be? How do I get him the way he wants to be God? Well, again, every single time I have a question, I go to the Bible. Because the Bible isn't just an archaic piece of literature from back in the day. The Bible is a living, breathing conversation that God wants to have with us. Come on, today. And so what I did is I went to the Bible. I tried to find an example of an individual who found it hard to get their mind or their heart around the fact that they were a child of God. But somehow they got something. Somehow they saw something. Somehow they felt or they heard something that changed everything. And that's where I came across this text in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 because John was an interesting character. You see, John was raised in a culture where he was conditioned from the youngest age to believe that he could have no uh, uh, kind of close relationship with God because God was to be feared and revered. There was always a separation between John and his people and God, a a, a temple curtain, a a priestly system. There was never going to be intimacy because God was an all-consuming fire. No eye has ever seen God. No man has ever, ever experienced that kind of relationship. He couldn't even say the word God or the name God out loud. If he was to write God's name down, he would have to leave the vows out. So unapproachable was he. But somehow he saw something. He got something that changed everything. What did John see that if we saw, it would change the way that we saw ourselves? What did John get that if we got, it would change our relationship with the Father? What, what, what did John stumble into that would have him be the one who would declare once and for all, see what great love this Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that, my friends, is what we are, exclamation mark. How did John get to that place? Well, simply put, this is what John got. First and foremost, he understood what it was like to rest in God's great love. He understood that our ability to become children of God, loved and confident, is not based upon our loveliness, but is based upon the fact that God is great love. See how great this love is. See the great love of the Father. You see, every world religion is built on a very similar premise. Irrespective of the culture you're from or the continent you grew up on, most world religions, except for Christianity, is built on this simple premise. If you want to have a relationship with God, you must be lovely. You must serve, you must sacrifice, you must give, you must bleed, you must offer, you must fast, you must feast. If you do enough, then you can become lovely enough to warrant relationship with God in heaven. 
Jesus comes along and flips the script and changes the game and says, it's not about how lovely you are, it's about how loving God is. It's not about how great you are, come on, it's how great God is. It's not about your effort, come on, it's about His effort, come on. It's not about you reaching, it's about Him reaching, come on. It's not about you chasing, it's about Him chasing. It's not about you sacrificing, it's about Father God giving us His Son, Jesus. And John got that. That's the reason he would declare, see The great love. Oh, what great love. How mind-blowing, how breathtaking, how spine-chilling is this great love. When you understand that God does not love you and call you into a relationship with Him based upon your loveliness, but because it's who He is, it changes everything. God doesn't love you as an act of his will, but as an extension of his character. If you could cut him, he would bleed love all over you. He can't help himself. And when you get that, it begins to shift the tectonic plates of your understanding of what he is really like. And it's not just like an ordinary love. Come on, it's a great love. It's not like a mini love or a compact love or the kind of love you've experienced up to this point in your journey. No, John would declare it is a great love. It's a grandiose love. It's a God-sized love. Come on, smile. That's good news. Because this love is greater than your mistakes. This love is greater than your past. This love is greater than your failure. Come on, this love is greater than your addictions. Come on, this love is greater than your rap sheet. This love is a great love that cancels out every fear and failure. That's how we become children of God, first and foremost. The greatness of His love. Second of all, it's about learning how to receive this gift of grace. That's the reason the Bible says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. I like that word lavished. Woo, I like it. It's like a generous word. I'm learning all about lavish now I live in the South. You know what I'm saying? The three major food groups in the South is fat, is sugar, and it's salt. And this Holy Trinity come together in a perfect unity in the biscuit when I first moved to the South, I'm at every single restaurant going, what are those little rocky things in the middle? What are those little kind of little tan rocky things up in there? And I remember nibbling on one for the, f- woo! It's like the perfect combination of fat, sugar, and salt. And you know what Southerners put on their fat, sugar, and their salt? More fat, sugar, and salt! Because I experienced something that has changed my life and my heart held forever. It's called Gravy! And in the South, they don't smudge on gravy. They don't sprinkle on gravy. They don't smear on gravy. No, they lavish gravy. They smother it with gravy. They get a chunky little fat, sugar, salty rock, and they put it under a Niagara Falls of gravy made out of fat, sugar, and salt. May you forever remember that the love of God and the grace of God that makes you a child of God came when he positioned you under a Niagara Falls of his God gravy of love and mercy and kindness. You don't get to earn it. You don't get to buy it. You just get to be lavished on. So many people think they need to earn it or buy it. 
Because it's intuitive. I get it. I've messed up. I need to make recompense and now I'll be okay. Here is this great gift of eternal life. What must I do to earn it or to buy it so now I can live in it? But you only get to be a child of God when you understand that it's His great love and this great gift of grace. He in His goodness, He in His kindness positioned you under the God gravy train and hit that green button. See, if you try to earn it, you try to buy it, you stop it being a gift. Because a gift technically can't be earned or bought. That's the reason tomorrow morning when we go to Chick-fil-A, because we're all dying for Chick-fil-A, because we didn't get Jesus chicken for an entire day. When we go tomorrow to Chick-fil-A, when we buy ourselves that little six-pack of chicken minis, you know what I'm saying? Those chicken minis are so good. They're served in heaven, you know what I'm saying? Chicken minis in heaven give you abs. Real talk, it's in the Bible somewhere. I can't give you the verse or the chapter, but I believe it with all of my heart. But when you buy those chicken minis and you swipe that card, the nice person from Chick-fil-A doesn't say, I've got a gift for you. No, it's not a gift because I bought that. That's the reason if you work at Chick-fil-A, you're one of those wonderful, kind people being paid above minimum wage who says yes, sir, and no, ma'am all the time, if that's one of you. At the end of your shift, when your manager gives you your check, he never goes or she never goes, I've got a gift for you. No, why? Because I earned this. The only way it becomes a gift is if you openly and humbly receive it. Say thank you, and that makes it a gift. We get to be children of God, confident and affirmed, when we rest in His love, and we simply receive this gift. And thirdly, we have to allow Him to rename us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. You will walk forward with the confidence of a kid of the King when you allow Him to rename you. There are too many people here this afternoon who have picked up names along their journey given to them by people who had no right to give you a name. There are way too many people here in this room who have grown disconnected from this understanding that really a creator alone has the right to give you an all-encompassing identity. And that's what he does here. He's the one who calls you a child of God. We moved here to America one year and one month ago. Uh, We moved to Anderson, South Carolina. We love Anderson, South Carolina. We love the lakes and we love the mountains. We love the Clemson Tigers that dwell around the upstate in South Carolina. We love, I have actually grown quite accustomed to all things sugary, buttery, and fatty, and salty. Just, I'm, I'm all about it, okay? Um, but one of the things that we miss uh, is the, uh, the multicultural nature 
um, of Australia, okay? And so the other day, you just don't see a lot of Asian brothers around. The other day, I found a Polynesian guy, and I hugged him, because that's the closest thing to an Asian I've seen for a long time. <laughs> Homie there was like brown, had a little bit of angle in his eye. I gave him a hug. I said, I love you. <laughs> Seriously, I just, can we be friends? And so... So my kids have started off in this middle school, okay? My daughter is 14, my son is 12. And uh, they started in this middle school. It's a tough time to kind of move countries and start a school. Uh, And my son experienced his first uh, round of racism that he had ever experienced. Uh, Because he looks different. Um, You'll you'll meet my wife later. She's a beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Norwegian goddess, right? She's beautiful. So we made these cool little halfy-halfy kids, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I call my children caramello koalas. I love them. There's like this caramelly colored. My son's got beautiful hair, freckles, got like a little bit of angle in his eye. He's a beautiful kid. Uh, But a bunch of boys at school made fun of him because he looked a little different. So Krista calls me up and says, hey, you need to come home because Josiah is crying and, um, and some of the boys at school were teasing him. So I dropped everything, went home, and uh, my son was already in his room and he was crying. And uh, so I grabbed him and I asked him, hey, son, um, what, what do these kids call you? And he started just listing off a bunch of names uh, that I remember being called when I was like 13, 14 years old as well. I felt so compelled in my spirit, um, yeah, just to, just to grab him and lovingly but firmly pull his chin towards me and let him know, hey, these boys have no right to name you. Because I've already given you a name. Your name is Josiah Daniel Leanne. And you're a beautiful boy. And your eyes are gorgeous. Your freckles are cute. you got thick hair. Man, I wish I had hair like you because daddy's hair is disappearing real quick. Man, I love you. <laughs> and I was speaking identity over him. I can't help but feel for the rest of your day. There's a loving dad in heaven who wants to firmly grab your chin and pull you in his direction and let you know you're not a failure. You're my daughter. You're not a fool. You're my son. You aren't overlooked. You're the apple of my eye. You're not just average or ordinary. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Hey, hey, you're not a loser. You're an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. Hey, you aren't unlovable. Mm, You are dearly beloved. You are heaven's favorite. Come on. He wants to grab you and turn you in his direction. And he wants to rename you my son, my girl, my son, sweetheart. And as we allow him, come on, to rename us, hmm, it changes everything. So all of a sudden now when I'm at church, I don't come because... It's a box I need to check off my Christian to-do list. Mm. No, I love going to my dad's house because he's got a fridge that's always full. 
I'm 42 years old now. When I still go to my father's house, I still steal food. You know what I'm saying? It changes everything. Now, when I worship him, I'm not singing and just hoping that he's listening to me. No. I know that his smile is broad. And guess what? While I was sleeping last night, guess what? He was singing over me. You know, it changes everything. So now when I give, it changes everything. It's like, oh my goodness, he's like a 10% God tax. No. It's like everything I have is pocket money from my father. You're letting me keep 90%? This is a good deal. Let's keep rolling. It changes everything. When I serve, when I volunteer, when I minister, all of a sudden it's not me trying to tap dance my way into heaven. It's now I'm standing before my father and I'm a part of the family business. You know what I'm saying? It changes everything. Now when I see my brother to my left and to my right and they're different than me, they live in a different neighborhood or a different suburb, they have a different skin complexion, they drive a different kind of car, they work a different kind of job. Instead of seeing what divides us, I see a brother in Christ, I see a sister in Christ, I see my neighbor in heaven forever. See, it changes everything when you get, you're a child of God. Abba, Father, call me Dad. Amen? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.